This is Hollywood Unfiltered, hosted by Dana Buckler and Brandon Lou here. Okay, everybody, welcome back to this week's episode of Hollywood Unfiltered on Fun for Life Radio, part of the Dash Radio platform. My name is Dana Buckler. My name is Brandon Lou here. And as always, we are pleased that you're taking just a little time out of your day to listen. So this is a big show for us. This is something that we have been really promoting. This is a, you know, the we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about the first big movie to come out this year. But we just have a couple little headlines we want to talk about first. So, Brandon, I'm going to kick it over to you. What is trending? What's on your radar? Yeah, Dana, hope you had a good week. Hope all is well. We talked about this a little bit last show, and it's interesting because this week, The Verge is reporting that Disney Plus is adding a cheaper ad-supported subscription tier later this year. There's no word on how much cheaper it'll be yet, but I just think that that's absolutely fascinating. I know, you know, we before the show, you mentioned HBO Max did this a few months ago where they added an ad-supported subscription tier. This is the first two major players to have ad-supported subscription tiers. I think it's fascinating, perhaps a little risky. I think uh, I think the consumers needed to start wrapping their head around this type of thing anyway in streaming. Uh, what do you think? I mean, again, we talked about this last week, and here it's, it's happening more and more. This has so many complex answers to what you just asked me. So we've talked about this numerous times, both on the show and just in private discussions. You know, these models, these subscription-based models, they're hemorrhaging money. These streaming platforms, they are hemorrhaging money. Now, for me, the HBO Max one was kind of a no-brainer because it was $15 a month, and that's that's getting up there. And I can they need to do a different tier. But the Disney one really kind of surprises me, Brandon, because Disney Plus is not, in comparison, a relatively expensive streaming service. I mean, it came out the gate at $6.99. I think it's bumped up to $7.99 or $8.99. But this tells me that they're falling short of their projected subscriber numbers, and they have got to figure out a way to get more subscribers on there. I would expect this to be, like you said, it hasn't been announced yet, but I would expect this to be somewhere in the $4.99 to possibly $5.99 tier. But I'll tell you, you make a good point. We all need to get used to this because look at Netflix. Netflix has operated in the red since it debuted its streaming service. I mean, it is operating at a loss and you have to continue. Streaming services have to continue to keep adding more and more content. You got to keep the the viewer satisfied. And these, this content is really expensive to produce. So you have got to find a way to supplement that income. So you mentioned HBO Max, Disney Plus. I don't know if Amazon does this anytime soon, but my guess is that depending on how many additional subscribers that Disney Plus picks up, expect Netflix to do the same because they're already hitting the $20 a month mark. What are your thoughts? Well, so there's there's a lot there's still to talk about. In regard to just the revenue they're going to make, I'm I'm happy for Okay, I have a couple of questions really first. We're talking Netflix. Let's use Netflix as an, as an example, Dana. We're like 220 million plus monthly subscribers 
let's I know some of the subscription tiers are like $19, $20. Some of them are a little bit cheaper. Let's just call that $10 a month for the sake of this argument right now. That's over $2 billion in cash flow every single month. My first question really is how the hell are these companies hemorrhaging so much money when they when they cash flow disgusting amounts every single month? Cha-ching, cha-ching like clockwork. T- taking a step back for a second, yet yeah, you know you brought up the point where Disney Plus is only s- s- 7, 8 bucks right now and uh, and that's the standard ad-free plan. I mean, how much cheaper do you go for it to become where it's actually a meaningful amount? I mean, anything I suppose is meaningful and you can't discount that well with ads, the advertisers themselves will be generating revenue for the streamers too. So, I mean, you could charge two or three dollars for a subscription, and then Lord knows how many millions for all those ads from the advertisers themselves. Now let's pivot again. We're, let's talk about HBO Max. They introduced a ten dollar per month that shaved, I guess, fifteen dollars off for the ad free price. But they they left out like the day and date. They left out certain other features. You know, we're going to talk about Batman later on at the box office, but we see with Batman, like it did pretty well. I don't I, compared to what HBO and, and Warner Brothers did with all the day and dates on HBO Max. I just don't see day and dates necessarily sustaining. I don't see the studios unless they change something with it. I don't see the studios sticking with day and date, especially considering how all the last year of movies did compared to the first major one of this year. So that begs the question, then what... Okay, you just you save a little bit of money, you get ads. What other benefits could they add to actually make this enticing? I don't know that people's palates are ready for this yet. Like, I, I really would like to see... I would be curious to know, with HBO Max, the numbers even. How many subscribers actually pay $10 a month for HBO Max and just watch the ads? You know, it's interesting because they're only going to release those numbers if they're positive. Now, if you're savvy, you can get on a shareholders call and, you know, they have to divulge that information, but they're not just going to publicly, you know, put that information out there. I would say a fair bit of people did probably subscribe at that level or at least gave it a try to speak to what you said about the day and date releases. Yeah, that model. I mean, that that failed miserably. And, you know, you're not going to put it like we've talked about many times before. You're not going to put $150, $200 million movie day and date on any of those streaming services because it's not going to (laughs) recoup its money. You talk about the amount of money Netflix is making. uh, If they're doing $300 million movies two times a year, that's that's cutting heavy into it. You know, Netflix is putting out a new movie every week, Brandon, at 50 that 52 weeks. That adds up then. That that adds up. up. Let's see. So let's say each one of those movies, I mean, what if those movies have a $40 million price tag on the low end times that by 52, you can see and, and all the money they spend on licensing content. And you know, it's, you can see where that money gets swallowed up rather quickly in terms of a solution. Let's say I'm trying to think here. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm an executive at Netflix or any other streamer. And the whole idea of a business is obviously to make money to profit, not just make money and then spend it out the wazoo lower tier more subscribers and some ad revenue that's that's great but there seems to be a fundamental problem then with the content development model the licensing model is that becoming outdated as well you know we talked last week about nielsen and a really traditional audience and and um and and viewership number service they're trying to get on board with these with the streaming, especially considering now that we see all these streamers thinking about adding different subscription tiers with ads, you're going to need 
tracking. You're going to need a standardized way for advertisers to know how much they ought to be charged. And that seems like the same road we're traveling on as far as sort of real, you know, it sounds almost funny to me now, like a traditional streaming model, which is that is there even a thing as a traditional streaming model? But we have had streamers for like going on 15 years now. And even within the streaming sphere now, we, we are seeing these changes and evolutions. I it would my first question really after that yeah you're right you got 50 million a week per movie times 50 I'm like that really actually I mean that adds up in a, in a big way that doesn't even include as you alluded to the the licensing fees are we just at a point where the whole model needs to be shifted totally and the only thing that's left over is that you can just stream content just look at some other th- like do you remember movie pass yeah <laughs> Okay, so for those who don't remember, movie st- movie pass very much akin to what like the AMC Stubbs reward or or the Regal Unlimited. And movie pass at one point was like ten dollars a month for unlimited movies. Now, anyone with an abacus could tell that that was, you know, that was never going to be financially sustainable. The same is said about these these particular you know streaming services. Something has to change. And I will say this, when the dust settles, not every one of these streaming services are still going to be around. It just can't. There's not enough people on this planet to sustain the current model that we happen to be witnessing. So I can see Netflix, if they don't start doing an ad-supported tier, they're going to be $30, $40 a month at some point. Now, will they end up buying the streaming services that collapse? Possibly. I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of unknowns that, you know, at this time, like it's very up in the air. Well, that's, you know, that's an interesting question. And I, ha- I would ask you, what do you think or who do you think would be the big fish swallowing the little fish? And when the dust does settle, and this is all speculative, of course, and just for fun, but like when the dust settles, Dana, who do you think will be the last streamer standing streamers? Uh, standing? Well, you have to <laughs> the easy answer on that one is of course amazon and why do i say that as i'm talking to you let me just real quick let me just as i am talking to you amazon sh- shares they're down three percent today but they're still 2800 a share mm-hmm. all right just by comparison at one point in 2021 they were close to four thousand dollars a share okay they're a company who's, you know, they make the bulk of their revenue through their Amazon, Amazon Amazon.com, okay? They have the fiscal firepower to sustain this storm. Netflix, they're the biggest as far as the most subscribers out there, but they they don't have ancillary income coming in from other, uh, you know, avenues inside the company. It's streaming or nothing. So the short answer to your question is, Amazon, 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 they'll they'll survive this thing. But I cannot say that about any of the other streaming services when the dust settles. So not you don't even think Disney or HBO well, will well, be playing still as far well, as of course. consolidation? Of course, Disney, you know, because Disney has other revenue streams besides Disney Plus, but they right. have put the bulk of their attention to this Disney Plus. I mean, they're you are not seeing as many Disney movies coming out. I mean, they're they're putting the Marvel movies out. Hell, they're putting their Pixar movies on Disney Plus now without, you know, a day and date or in some cases, not even theatrical. So they're going all in on this. And we've said this before. Never bet against the mouse. You know, they'll they'll figure it out. So Amazon, for sure. Disney probably has the best chance uh, after Amazon. But when it comes to HBO Max, Netflix, Paramount Plus, Peacock, 
God knows how many other streaming services, they're all hemorrhaging money right now. And if they're not part of a huge conglomerate, they're not going to survive under the current rules, if you will, under the current state of play. Do you think we're just going to we're coming just full circle again? Like in the next decade, we're just literally going to be right back to basically standard cable TV. No, 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 no. Hear me out for a second, because think about this, right? Let's just look at the the timeline of, of media content for a second. We and for starting with like traditional, like even like nineties to the two thousands, the real like heyday of even before that, the heyday of TV. But I mean, like really, when when TV was making the most money till now, people are like, oh, okay, there's only a, a limited selection of channels I want to be able to choose. Here's okay, Netflix mails DVDs to you. That's great. No commercials, by the way. Then we have Netflix and other streamers actually can you can stream movies live. Now we have a situation where, okay, that's been happening for the last decade. They need to add advertising back into the content, just like normal TV. Do you take a little ad break in in the middle of the content or before or after they can maybe switch it up, but it's basically the same thing. Whereas now factor in live streaming again, right? Twitch and YouTube live Dana, like everybody loves live streaming too. If it's not going to be that long again before you have Disney plus and HBO max live content, and then we are literally back to fucking TV. We have commercials in between the content breaks, and we have we're gonna have live streaming shit. It's just gonna be on a different platform. No, but but you're absolutely right. I misunderstood uh, the first the, when you first said that. I I think I misinterpreted wh- what you were saying there. Yes, it is all gonna go completely full circle. We will have. It's exactly it. You know, on our Amazon Fire Sticks or our Roku's or our Playstations and Xboxes, you know, we'll have our little section of the streaming services that we all subscribe to. And then there'll probably be a company out there that you pay a monthly, maybe it's $80 a month, and you pick the streaming services that you want, kind of like cable, kind of like cable television. And they're all going to be loaded with ads. And yeah, no, I agree. We are, we are, it is all going to come full circle. Remember, the only thing, Make no mistake about it. The only thing that is keeping live TV afloat is sports. That's it. And Amazon just announced today that they're signing ESPN college football analyst Kirk Herbstreet to be their, you know, one of their play-by-play announcers for Amazon's Thursday night NFL games. So Amazon is is going big into live sports because they recognize that that is the last bastion of, you know, people paying for cable. Now, why would I pay for cable if I can watch my NFL on Amazon? Do you see? Like it's it's we're so so far we're so in the middle of the wild west of this that predicting what's going to happen next is incredibly hard to do. But I agree with everything you said about you know it is coming full circle is going to go back to commercials. We're going to watch our sports on streaming services, and they'll have commercials. So you're right. It's just coming full circle. And I mean, you adding to that with like the, you know, having like a sort of aggregator that you pay a monthly fee to and you choose your channels. That's exactly the same. It's like Dish Network. You pick your stations. You get the premium Dish Network. You get the extra stuff or you get you add the HBO to it. It really is the same thing. And again, you have you'll just see these companies acquiring other brands like Disney's been doing. You'll just have the brands within the brands like Star Wars, Marvel, Pixar, etc. And and that'll be that. And then we'll just be back to where we were. And then the cycle will continue in a way that's almost encouraging and freeing. At the same time that it's like, okay, well, here we go again. But no, I, 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 you know, this occurred to me as we were talking about it. I really, I do believe strongly like we are, you know, as a sort of a revelation here that it makes sense. This is where we are going and it's just going to be a cyclical thing with little 
little variants, you know, v- little variations of shit here or there. But like, it's really not again. Like we, t- we, I don't want to beat the horse up, but this is really the same exact thing as we've we've, we've seen before. I'm realizing absolutely. now. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, Brandon, I've got one thing I want to talk about before we get into the box office. I got to ask you a question, Brandon. This is just a this is a hypothetical question. Sure. It costs a lot of money to make a Mercedes. Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't cost as much to make a Nissan Sentra. Would you agree? Yeah, fair. That's fair. So what if I told you that you only had to pay one price for a car, regardless of how much it cost? Would that make sense? I would be excited about that, but that would not make sense in my brain. That is a, a really interesting point, because can I tell you about an industry where you're going to pay the same price regardless of how much the product costs? Would you believe me if I told you there's an industry out there that does that? I'm, I'm hard pressed to think of one. What is it? What if I told you the movie theater industry is the one industry in the world where you pay the same price for a product regardless of what it costs? A movie can cost $300 million. You're going to pay 10 bucks a ticket. A movie could cost half a million dollars. You're going to pay pay $10 a ticket. Does that even make sense? We've been doing this for 100 years. Wait, Dana, you just blew my fucking mind, dude. I'd never in my life thought about it like that. And you're right. What the heck? This I has been mean, the case for a hundred years now. What the hell is going on? And we just do it. We just, I mean, we don't complain about it because it doesn't really affect us. You know, we, we just condition it that that's how much you pay for a movie, regardless of how much the, and it is a product, how much the product costs. Well, what if I told you, I think things are going to change. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. That the, the car example really blew, uh, you, you blew, you're blowing my mind here. Please continue. I beg. But I'm telling you, I see this changing and I'm actually okay with it. You know, you pay a premium price for a premium product. So the first cracks in the foundation of, you know, different tiered movie pricing has happened. I want to cite an article from Variety. The headline is movie theaters charge more for the Batman. Are price hikes here to stay? When without even getting into the article, my answer to that is yes, they are. It says here, if you went to the movies over the weekend, you may have shelled out a little extra to see the Batman. In a surprising break from industry standards, AMC Entertainment, the country's biggest theater chain, boldly announced plans to charge customers about $1 to $2 more for the Batman tickets compared to the other movies playing at the same time. It is not clear how the experiment, uh, a version of variable pricing, paid off because AMC did not break down ticket sales versus attendance levels at any of its 620 domestic theaters. This is hap- this happens before. If, if you go to a Broadway, if you go see a, a show on Broadway or off Broadway, the tickets are wildly variable, variable in pricing. I mean, it's it's wild. Yeah, so, I mean, in, in terms of concerts too, you, you want in the front row, you want the pit, you're paying a premium. You want the nosebleeds, you pay less. It was interesting to read a little deeper into this article that over in Europe, they've been doing something like this. They've been charging. They charge more or less depending on where you sit in the theater. Can you believe that? I didn't even know that. There's yeah. they, they have premium seating inside of the theater. They, they, they've they decided what the best seats are and you pay more depending on that. Now, I don't know how I feel about that because, you know, I'm really uh, anal when it comes to where I sit. You know, I, I would like to think that the two seats off to the far right or far left would be considered economy seats, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, but um, I will say just based on, 
you know, just using the car analogy, this is here to stay and you're going to see this really take off. Well, this is one of those jarring things for me personally, because I'm like, you know, on one hand, it really is a new concept that I'm just digesting in real time here with everybody. And at the other hand, like, you know, you bring up such a good example with the car thing. Like, I have no argument against that whatsoever. In fact, as someone like as someone who I theoretically doesn't really benefit, I'm a consumer first and foremost, so I don't necessarily benefit from a p- price increase. However, I'm I'm in support of that. I'm with it, especially if that helps to keep more traditional things like movie theaters alive and they need to adapt. I'm all for that. I just think again, like you know, like like adding ads to streaming services when people aren't used to it. It's just going to be one of those things that are, they need to get used to. I think it's even easier. I think that movie AMC and other theater chains are better positioned than the streamers, though, because really we have been conditioned. Like the movie, the movie theaters are the only place, like you said, are the only place that you have a s- static pricing for this type of this type of experience. Yeah. Now it's it kind of it's one of those things where it's like okay, it literally has been the last hundred some odd years of that. So like that's a, that's a hard habit to break. But I just I don't see how people couldn't wrap. I don't see why people wouldn't wrap their heads around that. Besides the fact that like, oh I'm just so used to like you pay ten dollars for the movie. But even now like you see like mo- movie tickets haven't actually been ten dollars. It's for like a decade. You know they've been like fifteen twenty plus dollars for a long time now. So I just think I. It just makes sense. We're we're here. We're in. We're, we've arrived to the future, and here we are. And this is what it's like. So, if movie theater, well, so here's the thing. We talked about how to save. How do you save movie theaters? Well, Spider Man did. Spider Man save movie theaters. We're going to talk just in, in just a minute here about the the numbers that the Batman did. But imagine, if you will, if you're a fan of these big Marvel, Star Wars, you know, DC tentpole movies, and you're concerned that they're going to make less and less of them. Well, I think the studios are going to be more apt to continue to make these movies if they know that they can charge more for people to see it. They can start to justify these huge box office numbers. I mean, excuse me. They can start to justify these huge budgets. If we're going to charge $5 more a ticket, that is going to offset a lot of the cost to make these movies. So I think we're going to see more and more of these big films in there. But you know what we're also going to see, Brandon? And make no mistake about it, because they're going to try to get away with this until they can't. You'll see studios manipulate the numbers as far as how much their movies cost to make, justifying them charging more. I can see that happening and happening as well. Yeah, I can see that too. That's not my favorite thing because uh, that's you know dishonest. But at the end of the day, but you know, you, I guess I guess they have to do what they want to do. I do have an interesting devil's advocate style question perspective here for you, and that is with okay. Going back to the car example, you buy a Mercedes or a Honda or a Toyota or a Cadillac does not matter. Essentially, you're buying an objective object. Of course, the way it feels when you sit in the seat. You might say, oh, this is a little, this isn't as comfortable as I hoped. But the point I'm making here is you buy a car, you pretty much know exactly what you get for the price and blah, blah, blah. The only argument I would make with variable pricing in movies is that you're buying a completely subjective product where if you're getting charged a premium and you theoretically might not like that product, I do see there's an argument there, potential trouble there. So it's kind of two questions I have for you. One, do you see this, that type of thing being, well, a valid perspective or argument in the first place? Like, 
some people might not like this subjectively first and also like they might have complaints and that it might backfire on the theaters in any way or do you think people will just be like okay just like gas is a little more expensive at this moment in time so are movie tickets but then again like people actually need gas in their cars to get to where they need to go people don't necessarily need to go to the movies because streamers and content and youtube etc well i just want to say real quick to to something you brought up at the beginning of your question there fair point made that I get to test drive that Mercedes before I buy it. <laughs> so exactly. there's there's a, there's a fair argument to be made there. So I think it's going to well, like anything, they'll do this in, in this they'll do this in increments. I mean, it, you're not going to see a ticket price go from 15 to 30 dollars overnight. Right. I think you'll you'll see this slowly start to, you know, the prices start to go up a little bit. I think I'm more uh, if if I've learned anything over the past few years, you know, with how much inflation and how much, you know, the price of everything has gone up. It's people will begrudgingly say, I can't believe this, but they'll still pay it. So I think if, you know, you want to see the next, we'll just say, you know, two years down the road, the next Spider-Man movie, you know, Brandon, are you prepared to pay $30 to see the next Spider-Man movie in the theater when it comes out? God, I don't. I honestly don't know. Like, part of me, I, I'm a the we, weird guy, though. Like, I'm a like one of those like, oh, out of principle, no. Like, even if I wanted to see it so badly, I'd be like, I'm on the fucking AMC stubs list, and I ain't paying a penny. <laughs> but like, I, I don't know. I probably would. I probably would buckle to be honest with you. I mean, my thing is this: like, I'm gonna go see the new Top Gun movie May 27th. I can't wait. That's my most anticipated film of the year. I'll pay fifty bucks to see it if I have to. That's how much I want to see it. Now, would I really pay 50? I don't know. But, you know, just, you know, me being boisterous right now. Yes, I'll pay $50 to see that film. So there's a lot to be said about. I mean, there's a lot of things to look at when we when we are looking at this variable pricing thing. But, I, you know, the question the, the article poses is, is it here to stay? And my answer is absolutely. Well, listen, we're, I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes, whether or not it does well for the streamers or whether or not it, it causes more change or adjustment. And really, you know, if you I would have to ask them, you know, to all the studio heads out there, if you're going to charge us more money, I hope that you're going to put more effort and love into what you're producing, because there's only been like I, I know I speak for more than myself when I say, despite the fact we've had more content than has ever been available in all of human history, it also feels like there's less to watch than ever. And um, yeah, if you're going to charge us more, please, for the love of God, make sure the content is good. That's all I ask. I love that you just you had to throw that uh, more content than the ever in the history of humanity. Yeah, I'm talking true. to a friend of mine this morning and she's asking me if I've watched this. I'm asking her if she's watched that. And we've realized that we're so far apart on what we're watching. You know, like this, there's just no rhyme or reason. But we've, we've talked about this already. and I don't want to get to that. But Brandon, I want to I want to, you know, speaking of the variable pricing. Okay, did that translate over this past weekend? Let's get let's just get right into the box office. Okay, here is the art. Here is the headline. The Batman flies even higher with one hundred and thirty four million dollar debut at the at the domestic box office. The Batman landed a bigger opening weekend than Warner Brothers, the studio behind the comic book adventure initially expected. The newest superhero epic starring Robert Pattinson as an as an exceptionally moody caped crusader we're going to talk about that collected 134 million in north american theaters over the weekend above sunday's estimates of 128.5 million those ticket sales rank as the best opening of 2022 
it's the first big opening. I just want to just go off script there for a second, as well as only the second pandemic era movie to cross the 100 million mark in a single weekend following Spider-Man No Way Home. Do you remember what that movie did opening weekend? Uh, I think exactly the same. No, double that. In it domestically, didn't I thought? I thought yeah, it did like 220 million. Oh shit! Well, yeah. <laughs> okay then. Uh, it says the reason behind the four percent bump in Monday's final tally is because the Batman had a better than expected turnout on Sunday, uh, bringing in thirty four point one million. That's more than some pandemic era re- releases managed to earn their entire theatrical run. The movie pulled in fifty seven million on Friday, which includes fan events from Tuesday and Wednesday, and added another forty three point two million on Saturday, without much competition until Sony's own comic book adaptation morbius hits theaters on april 1st the batman should continue to fly high over the domestic box office chart so brandon uh, no surprise this movie was going to come in at number one no 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 surprises there i'm i'm a little surprised it didn't do better admittedly uh admittedly as well uh and we'll, we can talk a little bit about that i think maybe perhaps the uh the runtime might have had something to do with that. Uh, it says internationally, the Batman captured 120 million from 74 overseas markets, pushing its global tally to 254 million. Already, the 200 million budgeted the Batman is shaping up to be a commercial winner for Warner Brothers. That's partially because the Batman marks a return to exclusive theatrical releases for Warner Brothers, which released its entire 2021 slate simultaneously on HBO Max. Going forward, Warner Brothers has announced plans to keep its movies in cinemas for 45 days before putting new titles on HBO Max. Now, there's an interesting point I want to bring up right there. This Spider-Man No Way Home has made the kind of money it's made through a lot of repeat viewings. Would you agree? Yes. A lot of people are going to see this movie two, three. I've heard stories of people seeing the movie five times. Now, why is why would they see it five times in the theater? Because the, there was this unknown of when the movie was coming out on digital. Uh, Spider-Man, we thought it was March 1st. We did read reports about that. Now it's looking like March 22nd is when it's going to be on digital. So we're talking about 14 weeks in the theaters. I've seen the Batman. I really don't plan on seeing it again in the theater because I know in... I guess, 40 days, just over a month, I'm going to be able to watch it from the comfort of my own home. Do you think that's going to detract from people going to see the Batman a second and third time in the theater? I think it would probably detract from that a little bit, yeah. If I'm all about this Top Gun movie and I ended up loving it, will I go see it a second time if I know it's going to be on Paramount Plus in 30 days? I don't know. I don't know. But again, there's no no surprise that the movie did did what it did. So, and you know, just just to add a little bit here, like it, it really does depend on the the quality of the movie from people's perspectives too. I think a lot of people really had nostalgia and a lot of love for Spider-Man: No Way Home for obvious reasons. I think Batman doesn't necessarily have the same type of advantages that Spider-Man had in that way in terms of like the rewatchability. If you know, we're going to get into the review of Batman later, so I'll hold off. But like, if if people think that Batman is good enough, they'll go see it. A, more than once and i'm in that group i mean i not not saying not giving my opinion of the movie yet i'm just saying i i was someone who saw it more than once for specific reasons but you know hey there you go yeah and then because again people like myself like i'm in my 40s not admittedly not the biggest marvel fan but i went to go see the batman because for that exact reason the 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 nostalgia factor in second place the sony pictures film uncharted pocketed 11 million dollars from 3800 theaters between friday and saturday pushing uncharted past 100 million at the domestic box office uh i'm gonna ask you the question i know you haven't seen it yet correct no i've not seen it 
Are you planning on seeing this in the theater or is this going to be a wait for digital? This is going to be a probably going to slip through the cracks for eternity type of movie. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry, (laughs) everyone who made the movie. I respect what you do, but it's just I'm being honest with you. There's too much to watch. I agree. I agree. I I can't break off two hours to watch a a movie based on a video game that I've never played before. So that just can't. I can't do it Um, elsewhere. and, And Brandon, damn it. We might have to do a review of this movie. Okay. Okay. Elsewhere, Channing Tatum's canine adventure dog landed at number three with six million from thirty five hundred theaters. The road trip buddy comedy is somewhat of an anomaly because it has managed to entice audiences without involving superheroes or intense CG action sequences. Dog continues to surprise at the box office, crossing forty million in North America over the weekend. In COVID nineteen times, it's a promising result for a fifteen million dollar budgeted budgeted film. And remember, it has the tagline: "Don't worry, the dog does." doesn't die <laughs> i do i listen i, I I'm, i'd be so open to reviewing this movie because i personally i love movies with i, I hate saying small budget because it feels like i'm being derogatory but like i i love movies with with smaller than you would expect budgets and they when they they really exceed those expectations and i, I heard a lot of good stuff about this film too wow this is this movie has uh this movie has legs yeah. more so than a lot of the big films that have come out I mean, it's it's it remained in the top three since it came out. I mean, I I'm all for that. Like we, you know, weeks and months ago, we've we've spent a lot of time talking about this whole God, like our you know smaller budget, like adult films, dead. Is it over? I mean, here, here's here's one that has legs. Perfect example. Uh, let's see. Holdover, Spider-Man No Way Home, and Death on the Nile took spots four and five at the domestic box office. The third Spidey installment with Holland, with Tom Holland brought in $4.1 million over the weekend, boasting its domestic total to a towering $786 million. In an especially rare feat, No Way Home has managed to stay within the top five on domestic rankings since the film premiered in December. It's also the third weekend in a row that two Holland-led tentpoles have been among the top four movies at the weekend box office. I'm going to see the Spider-Man movie in a few weeks when it comes out on digital. That's all I'm going to say. Well, there you I'm, go. You I'm, might have to wait a little bit longer now. And for the record, did double check while, we, while, while you were going over the box office just to make sure there was a confirmation of March 1st initially. There was, but when it's making almost $5 million a weekend still, I think, uh, yeah, it, it makes sense. They would push that back a little bit, that release. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I know listeners have been waiting uh, patiently for us to talk about the Batman, which we we have both seen. We're going to take a quick station ID break. going to come right back. This is Hollywood Unfiltered on Fun for Life Radio, part of the Dash Radio platform. You are listening to Fun for Life Radio because you don't know what to tell Alexa to play anymore. All right, and we are back, Hollywood Unfiltered on Fun for Life Radio. My name is Dana. I'm joined, as always, by Brandon. And Brandon, of course, you know, you couldn't escape it over the past week. The hype was real. We talked about the numbers, the Batman. Now, admittedly, you and I have been Batman fans for as long as we've known each other. We got to go way back eight years ago when you and I did a a pretty uh, in-depth two-part look at Batman on the podcast we were doing years ago. I think the title was, do people really even care about, or do people care about Batman? Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Yep. We we asked the question, do people care about Batman or do they really care about the villains? 
it's crazy how much has like in that time period, like we recorded that. That was 2014. I looked it up. That was 2014. So that was eight years ago. All right. Oof. And since then, we have had, you know, uh, Justice League Batmans. We've had, uh, you know, we've had a lot of stuff change. The landscape has changed quite a bit. But I'll I'll tell you right off the bat that I w- admittedly was very pumped to go see this film. It looked like a return to form for something that I wanted, which was a Batman story that was more grounded in reality versus, you know, comic book superhero adventure films that are super CGI heavy. Brandon, what was your anticipation for the film? My gosh, the the first trailer came out going on two years ago. And by the strength of that first trailer, I was hooked and pumped this whole time to the point where I was almost like burnt out of being excited for this movie because I waited so long for it. Now, with that being said, I just want to assure everyone listening that this is going to be as spoiler free as possible. But Brandon, I have to ask you, did this movie live up to the hype in your eyes? Gosh, okay. I want, I'm going to be delicate here. And before I answer that question, Dane, I just want to say I've spent a lot of time since I've seen the movie watching and listening other people's perspectives. And I'm, I, I'm proud for everyone who worked on this movie because they they made a movie that truly was what I think art should be, something that kind of split people's opinions very dramatically. Some people loved this movie and thought it was a masterpiece. Some people thought this movie was a disappointment. You asked me what my first thought of the film was. I'm still, after seeing it twice, I'm still sort of in a state of stasis and uncertainty. There was... For me personally, I, there was a lot about the movie that I really, really loved, and there was a lot about the movie that I really, really didn't. And leaving the movie, I I enjoyed it, but I there was there was a little bit that was missing for me in, in certain areas. We can get into that in more detail, but yeah, I don't know if I really answered your question the fully, but um, I don't really know. I, I it's it's hard to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts first too, because it'll help me rein mine in a little bit more. I have my thoughts. I have a lot of them, but they're kind of all over the place. All right. Well, I'll just say right off the bat, and again, I, I appreciate how you said that you wanted to be delicate about this. Um, I will not be as delicate. I was very underwhelmed by this film when it was over, and. What I say, I say very carefully, but I was so glad when it was over because Brandon, this movie is 45 minutes longer than it needs to be. And that is something that I stand by. Now, there are certain things about this film I really loved. I loved the aesthetic. I loved the cinematography. I liked the music. I loved uh, Robert Pattinson's introduction to Batman, like in the shadows coming out. There were stretches of this movie where I was, I found it very tedious, tedious to the point that when an action set piece, and admittedly, they are very few and far between in this film, shockingly few and far between in this film, when a set piece would happen, I was so emotionally like drained from, I thought, a very, an unusually slow pace for a, for a Batman movie, I couldn't get myself emotionally into the big action set pieces. Now, having said that, there are some strong performances in this film. And I, if somebody, you know, when this movie comes out on digital, somebody wants to take the time and cut this thing down to two hours and 15 minutes, I bet I'd have a different opinion of the movie. I, I really agree with you on nearly everything. And I want to bring up a point here 
about the story itself because I think that's where the disappointment for me re- resides in the story itself. And part of the disappointment I have in that gets exacerbated just a little bit by the fact that all of the good things that I really do appreciate about the movie, I kind of had to go back in after the fact and reanalyze and kind of justify in my mind. And that bothers me to a small degree because I don't think a movie, I don't think the merit of a movie or saying a movie is good or enjoyable should come in the dissection of it after the fact. And a lot of the enjoyment that I got from the movie, it came after the fact in the Easter egg and dissection bits of it. And I, that's not to say that I didn't, like you said, appreciate the aesthetics, the acting. Uh, there was nothing ro- like overtly wrong with this film. There was just a lot of little things that were just like so close to being there that weren't. And when you com- combine them all together in this whole big piece here, it was a little bit tedious. It was, I mean... Th- the tone of the movie itself was so dark and gloomy that in and of itself isn't a disqualifier for enjoyment because I think any, again, piece of art or film that moves you or makes you feel anything at all is a success from a certain perspective. This was just like, it It was like an onslaught of gloom and like you had to focus and pay attention at the same time. So you were like, I'm getting a little bit ahead of, or a little bit away of, of what I really want to say here, but there's just, there was just the essence of the movie left me unsatisfied overall. I want to say something about the psychology of this film. And I recorded a review for my podcast, the Dana Buckler show, which will be out uh, tomorrow. And there's a psychology to this film that I can appreciate, but I think almost may, may have had the, uh, a retroactive or not a retro, uh, the opposite effect of what was intended. And this is, this is, it's just something I came up with. Okay. This is not a spoiler for the movie, but Gotham City, it's always in this movie. It's always raining. It's always raining. There's like a couple shots when it's not raining, but it's just torrential rain at night all the time. What do we subconsciously equate rain to? I'm I'm right now. I'm looking out my window and it is a gorgeous day out. There's not a cloud in the sky when we are done recording i'm gonna go take advantage of how beautiful it is outside go take a walk just enjoy myself the opposite of that is if it was just torrential rain i'm a little bit bummed out that this ah, i can't do anything the rain's not i mean just that so this the fact that it was constantly raining made me uncomfortable and i think that might have been by design but i think it was almost too much now that's just one observation from the movie that i that i think affected me psychologically speaking yeah it does and that's an intentional choice that's without question an intentional choice you even look at the color palette it's mostly grayscale with touches of oranges and reds i mean it's I mean, even like, you know, this isn't a spoiler in the whole throughout the whole movie. Batman is barely even refers to himself or is referred to as Batman. It's like he's vengeance and his whole character that Robert Pattinson plays. He's, he's he really is like this very brooding, gloomy character. I think that was intentional to I mean, it was definitely intentional. I, I agree with you that, that like I think they could have used a few less drops in the recipe and still could have. I think they could have been more effective because you weren't just like fighting back your own internal emotions the whole time, trying to like keep it together to actually appreciate the film. Um, There's one more thing that's forgive me if this is too much of a side note here, but 
there was something that made me a little gloomy for another reason. And that was when this movie was initially pitched and there or was the initial trailer was released and Matt Reeves was giving a little bit of hints here or there. I mean, God, it was so early in production at that point. We really didn't have that much. But from what they were describing back then, Matt Reeves said, this is a standalone Batman film that doesn't it's just, it's, it's its own new thing. It's its own universe and it doesn't it's not supposed to connect with all of the other stuff. We're not doing really multiverse with this thing. I'm disappointed that there were elements of this movie that felt like it was all about like it was doing the Marvel thing where it's just setting up future shit. And I know part of that. I know I'm a little biased because I do know that there is a like a penguin HBO Max series in the works. There's a Jim Gordon HBO Max series in the works. There's definitely going to well, I shouldn't say definitely, but they know they definitely want to do sequels. Uh, yeah, yeah. And again, keeping it spoiler free, obviously, you 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 know the scene that I'm referring to towards the end of the film. When a certain character meets a is introduced to another character and they, they they become friends, for lack of a better term. Okay, at the end of let me just put it this way, and keeping this as vague as possible, at the end of Batman Begins, there is a little wink and a nod mm-hmm. to the audience that there are other villains out there in this world. Batman Begins was never part of a planned trilogy. It was a standalone movie, and if it became successful, they were they were going to approach Nolan about it, doing another one. I call that a little bit of fan service, what Nolan did at the end of Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this movie, this was beyond fan service. This was, we're putting this in there because if this thing's a hit, we are going to branch off and we're going to make more of these. We're going to make this a trilogy. So, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly that, you know, this BS about it. Oh, this is just a standalone movie. Uh, I, I disagree. I disagree. Um, but I would also like to say one thing, Brandon, I was having a discussion with a, with a friend of mine again last night and she, she had seen the movie and I, you know, her and I were just chatting on the phone and I said, you know, what'd you think? And she has kind of the same thing. It was really long and, and, you know, drawn out. And, and I said, and I made the case that <laughs> this is going to sound crazy when I say this, but you know what this, you know what this Batman movie had too much of Brandon? What's that? Batman. <laughs> And I'm going to explain. Now, I said, we're going to keep this as spoiler free as possible. I'm not going to get into the specifics. But when the Batman is introduced for the first time on screen. All right. This is this whole setup about it's it's Halloween night. It's Gotham City. You're seeing the criminal elements doing their thing. Your convenience stores being robbed, people vandalizing banks and the bat signal goes up and they they see it and they get freaked out. And there's these, you know, these scenes where you think the Batman's going to show up and, you know, it's a it's a you know. And then finally, when Batman is introduced, it's this long, dark corridor you hear his footsteps and you're just like oh my god i was i'll admittedly at that point i was all in i was like this is badass and then he comes out and he takes on a gang and he just whips the shit out of him in a more brutal way than i have ever seen in any other batman movie it was admittedly that opening introduction to batman was amazing i love batman in the shadow shadows is he there is he gonna make an appearance the rest of the movie, you are basically with Batman 99% of the time. He is just doing detective work, which I get it. He's the world's greatest detective. But I would have liked a little bit more. I would have liked a little less of him. 
there was too much Batman in the Batman. I know that sounds crazy. People are going to think I'm an idiot for saying that. But that's how I felt. I love the the allure of, is he there? Is he not? Oh, when he comes in, he's going to just kick ass and he's going to disappear into the shadows again. So that part got to me. No, I think... I, well, firstly, I agree and I understand completely what you're saying and I'm confident other people listening would under, will, will understand where you're coming from too because you have to compare it. You know, we, we kind of have to, right? Well, I, I always I like looking at things as their own independent thing, but come on, it's Batman. We have to compare it to other Batman movies. The vast majority of the Batman movies and even some of the, the ones that people consider more stinky have cleared st- see, you have Batman is in, in a little bit of it and then you have totally you go to the to b or c plot and you don't see batman for a little bit at all this movie you're right i mean it was 99 percent of it was was batman himself on the screen or robert pattinson and now it is it's it's a movie about him like and that says yeah like okay well duh it's a movie about batman but i think what you're saying here is is there was there was not a lot of even though there's a lot going on and a lot of information to keep track of there wasn't actually a lot of like breakup of characters moments like this all the characters are all just cycled through or you know kind of funneled through bruce wayne's perspective batman's perspective and that is i mean that is what a story is you have to have a perspective from someone but it was a very mm, what's the phrase like there was there was there was no break there was no break from batman and i i think yeah it could have used that in addition to there was like there was no there was less this is almost similar to the grievances I had with the Eternals, which there wasn't as much character development or development in the character relationships themselves. I would have liked to see more of that, even though I know Matt Reeves specifically was not going for an origin. He was actually trying to avoid that because we've seen it so many times. How many times you need to see Bruce Wayne's parents get shot? Probably not that many times. How many times you need to see Uncle Ben die? Not that many times. But for a three hour movie to have felt like something like that was missing where you could have spent two to five minutes like I would have just loved to see even in a flashback or in a journal, like the moment he decided because again in the movie, this isn't a spoiler. It's basically, you know, everyone knows it's he just just, he's in his second year as Batman. It's new. And yeah, I would have at least loved to see when he made the decision or why, even though again, we God, there's been so many Batmans, but it, it goes to show when you don't have something like that, it was it felt like it was missing. And then the same the same thing I could say for the relationship between Gordon and and um Batman, you kind of just get dropped in and they're already buddies and sort of trust each other, which I felt like I had to wrap my head around that. And that took me out a little bit. Uh, One more thing, because I know we are running out of time, but one more point I'd like to make. And this is of note for me because Batman movies have always been known, not just for about Batman, not just about Bruce Wayne, but always about the villains. The villains have always been larger than life. (laughs) Case in point, the Joker character, Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger. Tom Hardy's Bane. Hell, even Jim Carrey's the Riddler. Danny DeVito is the Penguin. These are always been larger than life characters that have uh, left their indelible mark on the movies. Well, without getting into the the main crux of who are the, the bad guys in this movie, I was disappointed to only spend a little bit of time with our main villain, towards i mean deep in two hours plus into the movie whereas in previous iterations of this story and i'm not just comparing it to the nolan ones but in every other iteration you see the bad guys you see their motivation you have you you do have some screen time with the villains doing their thing 
And that was missing from this film. And so by the time we get the big reveal of our, our main bad guys, plural, uh, it's again, too little too late. And I, I don't understand their motivations. I always understood the motivations of every character, every villain prior to this. So that was one more thing. One more point I want to make. Yeah, I agree with that. And there's even look, even at the very end, not going to spoil it, but just the very end, there was just a bit where like, it just was like an extra act almost that didn't even need to be there. Like it yes. was, yes. It's, so I, it was Return of the King all over again. Yeah, it needed, it needed to wrap it up, and it needed to wrap it up a few times. Uh, Brandon, just basically uh, giving it this, um, uh, scoring this out of ten. Where would you put this movie? I'm going to put this at a six point five, and I want to add a little just clarifying thing that, despite what we've said, I did have a good time with the movie overall, and I, I just want to say to the audience, I really, I have, I hate when we sound so negative about stuff, especially when a lot of talented people work on it, but we're just being honest about our, uh, our thoughts here, you know, but I do, I do feel bad, you know, cause I was God, I say this because I was so fucking excited for this and perhaps I shot myself in the foot a little bit. Like it's one of those like too high of expectations type of things, but I don't think it was. I just think I was disappointed by it. And so I'm, I feel bad about that. I really do. I want to let the audience know I feel guilty. I'm giving this a six out of 10 and six out of 10 is still an above average score. Average would be five out of 10. So I'm not saying this is a, by any means, this is not a terrible movie. This is a very, very well-crafted movie. This is a movie that has really good performances. This movie has nice in-camera stunt work. I'm not going to deny any of that. However, the fact of the matter is that after I saw The Dark Knight Rises, I immediately turned around, went to the box office and bought another ticket for the movie. That's how much I was into that two hour and 45 minute long movie. I I had to see it again right away with this movie. I left the theater and believe me, I had time in my day. I could have turned around and bought a ticket again, but I didn't. And I don't have a, I, I when this hits HBO Max, I'm going to give it another revisit. But I'm, with the ability to hit pause and take a break. So I have that's one more question for you before at. we wrap up the show. Are you invested in this universe at all? Will you, if there are sequels, other series, will you explore those or no? To be determined. To be determined. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the end of this week's episode of Hollywood Unfiltered. If you're just tuning in and just you're tuning into the end, you're like, what did these guys say about Batman? Not to worry. This episode, along with every other episode that we've done of season two of Hollywood and Filter, are available on in podcast format wherever you get your podcasts. So be sure to follow this station, Fun for Life Radio, on Instagram at Fun for Life Radio. I'm on Instagram at the Dana Buckler. And for everybody listening, we will catch up with you very soon. Have a good one.